Welcome to The Build Up. I'm Kirk Pinhop. And I'm Arielle Cass. We cover real estate for Cranes Detroit Business. Together, we're launching this podcast to give you the inside scoop on commercial real estate. We'll be bringing in experts from across the industry to offer their perspectives on the biggest issues they face today and what challenges they expect for the future. This is The Build Up. Today's guest, Albert Berez, is the CEO and co-owner of the real estate investment firm at McKinley. In his role, he oversees a $4.6 billion portfolio with 20,000 apartment units and more than 10 million square feet of shopping centers and office buildings in 16 states. Albert came to the U.S. as a refugee when he was a child. Now, after more than 30 years with McKinley, he's responsible for acquiring and managing assets in excess of $7 billion and manages a full-time staff of 1,000. We're happy to welcome Albert to the build-up. Kirk, Ariel, thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to being with both of you and, uh, and with your audience today. We appreciate it. Can you talk a little bit about what your ambitions were when you joined McKinley um, three or more decades ago? Well, you know, McKinley's a great organization. We've, uh, we've uh, morphed and, and grown over that uh, 30-year period. My partner, Ron Weiser, started the firm in 1968. We've been together since 1982. And uh, it's been a great experience. And, you know, it's, it's been made up of wonderful people that have allowed us to, to really grow along the way. And, uh, um, you know, we continue to, to, to morph in our current mode. And, and we can talk a little bit about that. And, um, you know, we're very excited for our future. McKinley is a, is a generational business. It's a family-owned business. So we're a privately-owned, family-owned generational business where, you know, these assets will survive our lifetime. And, and, um, and we'll be... You know, we'll be moving on to the next generation of, of, of ownership and leadership at McKinley. And we'll get into those in, in, in just a second here. I'm glad you alluded to that. Um, what's been easy and difficult to manage as the uh, company has grown over the years? Well, you know, scale is always difficult. Geographic dispersion is always difficult. Um, you know, asset classes are always difficult. And we had, um, you know, throughout our career, uh, diversified into office, retail and multifamily. Um, and for strategic reasons, really related to our generational business, we've divested ourselves of office and retail. It just it just wasn't what we thought um, to be the right type of assets to bring into a generational business. And as it turns out, those the timing of those decisions, uh, you know, worked out quite well for us because obviously exiting retail uh, about eight or nine years ago at this point and exiting office uh, more recently, about four to five years ago at this point, um, have been good calls on the on the market side as well. Not not. Not to mention the strategic longer term view of, you know, how we see assets and how they fit into a into a into really, in our view, a perpetual company. As you mentioned, um, McKinley over the last few years has focused on multifamily and workforce housing, getting rid of some of those other uh, sectors. Can you talk a little bit about how it's worked out so far on the multifamily side? Well, you know, for us, it's 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 been good for two reasons. One is, um, you know, we, we are now in two markets, Southeast Michigan and Central Florida. Um, you know, we have substantial market presence in Central Florida. You know, we're the largest apartment owner in metropolitan Orlando. We own, you know, by uh, by CoStar estimates, about 8% of that market, which for a market that size, it's it's a pretty significant footprint. But when you further subdivide that into the submarkets that we're in, we have huge dominance a lot like what you see us have in Washtenaw County, which is about 60% of all the workforce housing, suburban workforce housing apartments in in in, in Washtenaw County. So, you know, you know, we're we're you know, we feel we're great at Washtenaw County. We feel we're great at Central Florida, and and we think we're great because that's how we started up, by the way, um, as workforce housing owner operators. And so, I think we're back to our roots. We're back to what we do best, 
And those assets also are absolutely perfect for what you want to see in a generational enterprises because they're 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 um, you know they're they have a purpose. I mean, you know, we're we're next to major employers that will never go away. You know, we're here sitting next to the University of Michigan Medical Center. You know, we're next to Walt Disney World. We're next to Universal Orlando. We're next to a lot of places like that in Central Florida. So, you know, for us, you know, I think we've we've made the right locational investment strategy decisions uh, that will propel these these assets, and more importantly, the people that are leading these assets uh, for years to come. Do you expect to expand your residential portfolio into other states or other cities? You know, we've gone the other way. We 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 really want to focus Washtenaw County. I mean. We're glad to own 100% of Washtenaw County, not 60%, to be honest with you. And we're, you know, we're we're happy to own uh, more and more and more and more in Orlando. And you know, we're, you know, we're in in four submarkets in Orlando. You know, we're in the Universal Orlando market, we're in the SeaWorld Disney market, we're in the Airport Downtown market, and we're in the Winter Park market. And we have significant scale in all four of those places and can do more. So, you know, we we, we fully expect you know, we're 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 under negotiation right now and soon to close. I can't say much more about it, but a new asset here in Washington County. And we have a similar type of discussion going on right now in Orlando. So, uh, you know, both markets, we know, well, we're very comfortable. We have huge scale in terms of leadership presence in Orlando. We have huge scale, obviously, in, in Ann Arbor and Washington County. So, and, and, you know, candidly, it, the workforce housing business is, is a stable, steady business. It's, it's, it doesn't have the volatility you see with other asset classes. And, you know, especially post-pandemic, you know, the world has changed. And, you know, p- you know people used to, look at apartments as a place to stay sometimes transitionally the turnover rates in our buildings have have gone to zero i mean no one's moving out that's one factor the other factor is homes have become everything for people they've become you know their school they've become you know the places of worship they certainly have become their offices and um you know so the demands that's placing on us as a workforce housing operator is different but good because now you know the the home is playing a far more essential role in everybody's daily life you know than i think it did before 2020. Does that change what you look for in acquisitions at all? Do you want bigger units or any anything different? Well, you know, we 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 buy with the anticipation of having to make significant capital investments and change whatever we have to whatever we think we need to have. And so, you know, those investments are significant because you know our, our buildings we don't sell. I mean, if you so if you look at Ann Arbor, you know, the very first quote unquote traditional workforce housing garden apartment that we bought in. 1971 is still with us and the same is true of our buildings in central Florida. So we just don't sell. But now what we have to do is to make those older buildings competitive. So you'll see us do things like washers and dryers. And, and we certainly make a lot of investments in, in the physical plant We're you know, we're very focused on energy conservation and, 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 and a green view to our portfolio, which is not just good for the environment, but it's also good for business. And um, so, yeah, I mean, I think we buy with the intent of having to make a significant investment for the long term, you know, for us, you know, an apartment begins to make sense about year 10. It super makes sense about year 20. And, you know, it really hits full stride by year 30. And so, you know, we've got a lot of those 30 and 40 year old assets in the portfolio as we do, you know, one, two, three, five and 10 year assets as well. So I, I, I'd never really considered that Orlando and Ann Arbor were kind of similar markets in that they have sort of a built in stable of really sort of constant never ending renters who who want to live around there. Are there other markets either around Florida or Michigan who that you view like that or other markets around the country where it might make sense to expand given that sort of um, uh, basis that McKinley has? Yeah, so great question. I'll answer it in two parts. I'll, I'll, I'll do the Michigan side first, which will be um, you know easier for your listeners to, to relate to. You can't find a better employer than Michigan Medicine in the state of Michigan, period. 
I don't care who you are. That's just the gold standard for employment stability. Not only do they pay extraordinarily well, not only are they expanding, not only doing all the right things from a business decision standpoint, it is a well-run medical system. And, you know, if you had to be next door, which we are next door a lot, it's not a bad place to serve in terms of our customers who are working in Michigan Medicine. And I list them differently, by the way, than I do the University of Michigan, because I would put the second employer with the most ability would be the University of Michigan itself. So you're looking at those two, you know, we we have strategically just been north, south, east and west directly around those two major employers. And that's and that's our and that's. But, you know, then we have people that, you know, that, you know, that theoretically we can, we can draw from the Ohio line, you know, all the way up north to Flint, all the way out west to Jackson, all the way out to to, you know, Detroit. And, you know, everybody would prefer, you know, if, if they're living in or if they're working in Washtenaw County, they would prefer to live here. And if you're going to make a workforce housing choice, you know, we've got six times out of you know six chances in 10 of providing that opportunity to someone. Now, we're not going to be in luxury housing. We never have been not going to be in student housing. Don't want to be. Um, and so when you transfer that same train of thought to central Florida, you know, and I grew up in Miami, so I know Miami very well. You know, Miami is a very different market. Miami, Lauderdale, Palm Beach is not Orlando. And Orlando is workforce housing. And everybody always views the Gold Coast, which is Dade County, Broward County, and Palm Beach County, as the largest concentration of people in Florida. And while that's true, that's super changing. And here's why. So if you take the, the SMSAs, which are Daytona Beach, Orlando, Lakeland, Tampa, St. Petersburg, they're now approaching as many people in that string, which we call the I-4 corridor, than there is in Dave Brown and Palm Beach County. The difference is Dave Brown and Palm Beach County is a very expensive housing market. It's an ultra luxury housing market. It's a waterfront housing market. And those are all things we don't want to be. You know, in Orlando, we're off the water. It is. Uh, and by the way, when you when you talk about employment and we mentioned Disney and Universal, I mean, don't forget the space program today is an all privately funded space endeavor. So, you know, we have you know, we have Elon Musk, we have Blue Origin, we have all of these companies today and sitting next to them are, 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 you know, Lockheed Aerospace, all these massively large people who are, are in that business. And that's just one example. I could, so I can go on and on and on. You know, Disney is moving 2000 senior executives from their California operation to Lake Nona in Orlando. And so, you know, there's a, there's a, there is definitely a trend to move major corporations for financial reasons to the state of Florida. And, and again, just like we're doing here with Michigan Medicine or with the University of Michigan, you know, we're literally sitting right next to all those employers in Orlando and throughout central Florida. So, you know, for us, it's workforce. So whether it's workforce Orlando or workforce Ann Arbor, that's, that's what we do. That's who we serve. That's who we're committed to serve. You know, we want to be extraordinary at workforce housing. That's all we know how to do. And, you know, I don't know how to do luxury. I don't know how to do students. I don't know how to do all those other things senior housing, et cetera, terrific, terrific businesses, but it's just not who we are. And so we've really understood and it took us a while to get here and it took a level of maturity that we're better to be great at what we do at the one thing that we do and do it well. But, and by the way, one other interesting side note, three out of every five people moving to Florida today are moving into the I-4 corridor. And the majority of those three out of five people are workforce housing employees. They're also what I would call a significant component of legal immigration. So, for example, after the hurricanes in Puerto Rico, a lot of people moved from Puerto Rico to Kissimmee and parts of Orlando because, you know, the, the tourist commercial industry was substantially affected because of the hurricanes in, in San Juan. But the, they were working for Disney. They were working for Marriott. 
they were working for Carnival Cruise Lines. So if, if they are fully employed working for Marriott in San Juan, they can transfer to Orlando. You know, that's a kind of immigration that you don't see in other parts of the country. Again, all workforce. These are all people going to get up tomorrow morning and work for a living. And 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 so, yes, I, I, I really think both markets are terrific long term for what we do. Great. Um, with rents rising here at, in here in the Detroit area at, at, at 10%, inflation rising, um, your core customer base, their, their pocketbooks are, are pinched even more than they, than they you know, normally are. How does McKinley navigate that when everything is becoming more expensive? Yeah, no, that's a question I get asked a lot. And I think the answer is, if you haven't done this like we have for 40 and 50 years, and you have this exuberance that you look at the last two to three years and you think it's reflective of the market, the answer is you don't understand your customer. So if you're serving the workforce housing customer, the natural ceiling, which is a function of income, is going to be set for them whether or not you think market conditions because of supply and demand will allow you to continue to grow rents. So there's an element of stupidity if you think that this is an endless up, up, and up, and up. It's not. There is going to be a tap out. And there is, for example, I see already for, in southeast Michigan and in central Florida, because, look, you, you, have, a, you, have, you have one or two earners in a family, sometimes one, sometimes two. You, there's a limit. And so, and, and, and so I think this is a little bit of a pandemic pent up. But I would, you know, and I, I hear a lot of people saying this is the greatest business in sliced bread. And we can continue to raise rents like this forever. What a wonderful thing. And I'm just saying there's a person who has no idea what they're doing. Well, and affordable housing is an issue in Ann Arbor broadly. Um, the city's been working to increase its housing stock and affordable housing stock. Can you talk a little bit about what it's doing right and what there's room to to improve? Uh, you know, it, it, it's it's here's the thing. Uh, supply and demand is local and it, it only gets resolved locally. So uh, if you truly are committed to moving the needle, all forms of housing, regardless of price, are good to resolve this issue that people are looking to resolve in Ann other parts of the country too, by the way, it's a big conversation for us in Orlando. Um, but you know, the, the, the reality is the, the amount of new starts and the amount of new product that's being built in Ann Arbor is not really moving the needle. And, you know, and, and it's predominantly been just super luxury student housing and super luxury student housing is occupied by a, a particular tenancy that, you know, comes and goes, uh, they can pay a whole lot. But it doesn't really affect, if you want to call it that, you know, the, the net supply demand of a market like Ann Arbor. It's terrific for people who are developing those products and people who are living in them. They like them. They're right next to walkable to campus. But if you're looking at workforce, if you're looking at something above workforce, it doesn't help you because the, when you have an apartment designed for six, you know, six rooms in a, in a bedroom or six rooms in a unit, it's not something that is going to fit and or serve the typical consumer. So I, I think the problem with Ann Arbor is, you know, it's if, if they really want to commit to changing things, it's increasing the total amount of inventory available in the market. And, and this is a really difficult market to build in. And so therefore, you don't see anything other than super luxury student housing projects get off the ground. Um, you've dealt with a lot of uh, troubled assets in the past. And I think, you know, sort of particularly with uh, the Packard Square project over in Ann Arbor. Um, what's the secret to a successful workout business? And are you still buying up distressed assets? Well, you know, that's how we started our living uh, in, in distress. And, and um, you know, we're not doing much of it anymore because, quite frankly, the, the capital markets today are just so flooded with cash that, you know, the, the quote unquote 
historical definition of distress I don't see as prevalent today. Now, I do see underperforming assets, people that are not good owner operators. I mean, I think everybody's gotten to the apartment business the last 10 years. And now all of a sudden they're all experts. And so I think when you see, you know, some of this shake out with, you know, this next round of difficulties in the economy, um, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll be bad operators, they'll be bad capitalization, and they'll be doing some of the wrong things that somebody like us can make them into the right thing. So, yeah, I mean, our, our fundamental belief is no matter what we buy, even though sometimes more distressed, let's say 10 and 20 years ago, less distressed today, we're going to do things to make that to make that asset more competitive, better for what we think is the right thing to be in for wherever it's located. Um, I understand you pride yourself on longevity among your staffers, um, both you and Ron. Um, what do you do to keep people? And um, was there any change at all during the great resignation that we've seen? You know, the, the, we, we've been fortunate. We're, we've got a great we've got a great team. Um, you know, our current team, which we call Team One, which is our our, our C-suite, is you know made up of nine people plus myself. And you know, the the average tenure of those nine people are somewhere between nine years and twenty one years. So um, you know, we're blessed, and so we're always trying to now, especially uh, think about what does it look like without us and that next generation of leadership. Because quite frankly, that's going to have to happen. And so, you know, our family and, 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 and the Wiser family are constantly talking about what does that look like? Um, and so that we can give a next generation of leadership the opportunities that we had. And, um, you know, we're, we're prepared to do that um, because this is a business we've committed to run 100 years as a minimum. You know, we're, we're in our 54th year of operating this business. And, and quite frankly, we're, you know, we feel still young, at a young place in life in terms of what we're going to be able to do going forward now. Succession strategy is key for us because it's a generational business. And so I think, you know, I think opportunities financially and, and, and also professionally is what allowed us to keep people here probably longer than the, what you see in, in, in the marketplace. And speaking of succession, you have at least one of your sons involved in your business, right? Is that something that you all are, are talking about as perhaps a, a future plan? No, we don't necessarily do that. We, we're happy that the best person that should do this job is the person is a person that should continue the job. So no, it's it's not. It's you know we we are we have this wonderful group. There'll be there'll be opportunities for all of them, and 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 you know it's not for us to say it's going to be a certain way. We don't believe that's to be the case. We think we think we can continue this, you know, well beyond our two families, and and we're prepared to do that. And um, it's 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 you should want to pick whoever is the best person that will allow you to continue to lead this business forward, and, and we're committed to that. And as we mentioned in the intro, you are a refugee. You came here from Cuba as a child. Can you tell us a little bit about your your journey to the U.S. and how that affects your work life, how it's affected business for you? Well, it's a long time ago, um, but it certainly is. It, it's certainly uh, something I will. It's it's uh, an experience that I'll never forget. Being uh, uh, a refugee, not just an immigrant, because I mean, I literally escaped in the middle of the night to get over here. Um, so for us, it's, uh, you know, we're blessed because we're allowed to come to the greatest country on the planet. There's nothing else like it. Uh, opportunities here for someone that can come from another country to be able to do what, you know, what I've been able to do and my family's been able to do. And, and, and it's just unusual. It's not, it's not normal. And so we've come, to, come from a place certainly that uh, oppression and other things are normal. And it's not normal here. And so, um, you know, I say to everybody every single day, I said, holy cow, this is the greatest place on the planet. I can't think of any place better. Um, and I'm certainly truly blessed to have been allowed to come in here and, and, uh, cause the, the options wouldn't have been very attractive. Let's put it that way. And can you tell me a little bit about your management style and how it's changed as the company grew? 
yeah, you know, for me, I've gotten uh, a lot more inclusive, a lot more collaborative. Um, because, you know, at a younger age, when you're more entrepreneurial, it's, you know, I think it's more command and control. I think today it's, it's much different than that. And I think, you know, every, you know, every day that I get older, I think that style changes yet even more because I really realize it's, it's about that next generation of leaders and, and letting them do, letting them make mistakes. And, and, you know, we've got a pretty, pretty amazing group. Um, and, um, you know, I continue to push them. And so, um, it, the key for me at least is to let them know that I'm not going to be here forever intentionally. And I would like to um, not stop the business, nor does Ron. We're not going to stop the business. This is a, this is a multi-generational perpetual business. And so um, that leadership machine is, is, is how we're going to do it. I'm curious. How do you use social media? I know you're pretty active on Twitter. Um, and has it changed the way you communicate with your, uh, with your employees? Yeah, you know, I think for me, social media is, is another way to communicate with employees. I think that's pretty well said. I, you know, I, we don't have a external audience like a lot of companies because all of the capital in our business is our own. It's all family capital. It's so we don't raise money externally. We don't have anybody else as partners. So I don't have to satisfy a variety of people that we, you would typically have to satisfy in, in a business where, you know, there's a lot of outside uh, financial constituents, if you want to say it that way. So for us, you know, the most important uh, base is our, our team members, because if we do a good job by them, they'll do in turn a good job with our customers. And so, you know, we have, a, we, you know, we're kind of lucky at McKinley. We have a little bit of a Camelot. We have a much smaller universe of people that we have to interact with. And for the people that I have contacted through social media, by and large, as I would say, it's, it's the younger population within McKinley. They like to see what I post on Twitter. You know, sometimes it's personal, sometimes it's business and it's worked well. And, and what I try to do is I try to I try to cross those messages. So often when I have a message internally, you know, I'll show it on Twitter, I'll show it on Facebook uh, and vice versa. And, and it, it works well. And so I'm trying always constantly through internal messaging or through social media to reach our team members. And, it, and so far, it seems to work pretty well. What's the biggest mistake that you've made in business and uh, how did you overcome it? Oh, God, it's not one. <laughs> you got an hour and a half or two hours. You said it was half an hour. Go on. <laughs> uh, no, listen, it, it's, there's a lot. I mean, my, my goal has been not to make the mistake more than once. Sometimes I say, it, then, I, then I say more than twice and then maybe more than three times. So no, no, no one's perfect, man. I, I, I can give you a long list, long list. Start with the three, three timers. Oh man. I don't know. God, three timers are, I'm terrible at interest rates. And every time I make an interest rate decision, I'm going to say, I got this one right. And I don't. So I've, I'm learned, I've learned now that I'm a, I'm a much better real estate operator than I am a, than I am an economist or someone who knows something about finance. Do you turn those, uh, I assume you turn those decisions over to a CFO or something like that? Yeah, no, no, we do it together. I'm together. I, okay. I grew up in the, I, I grew up in the real estate investing banking business before I got into, into the, into the apartment business. So it's actually something that I have some, I have some credentials in, which is even scarier and gives me more reason why I shouldn't be involved in any of those decisions, but I do. Is there uh, anything else uh, we should know that we haven't talked about yet? No, I think it's great. We I appreciate the opportunity. What a wonderful venue for you and RL to have these kind of conversations with people who are in real estate. And I'm, and I'm super, super appreciative of the time. You know, we have a great company. And so anytime I have a chance to talk a little bit about our people, I'm, I'm excited to do it. And I, and I certainly sincerely appreciate the opportunity. Thanks so much for taking the time to talk to us.